Well, thank you, thank you. We have been challenged a little bit with some technical difficulties this morning, but it uh, looks like we're on track. And there we go. Well, good morning. It's, back. it's great to be back at the gathering. We were last Sunday at Fairhaven's family camp, where I've been a, a teacher for the last uh, 14 or 15 years. And I preached a total of nine times between last Sunday morning and Friday night. So we're coming home a little weary this morning. Patty also sang on the worship team at every public service over the whole week. So thank you for praying for us. Little did you know that we needed, we needed prayer for physical strength. But it was also one of the richest weeks that we've ever had at Fairhaven's. Uh, the, 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 the campground was packed, jam-packed. It was, full, it was a full week, the first full week they've had in, in several years. And um, we had some of the, the best conversations after the public services that I think we've, we've ever had there. It was just a spectacular, spirit-driven, uh, anointed week of, of learning together, crying together with, with dear friends, and preaching the Word of God. We also ran into some old friends, a group of young couples, young families, mostly homeschoolers, who are planting a church in Barrie, Ontario. And we met them two years ago when we were there, and they had all come together, uh, a couple of them with disabled children, uh, living in tents for the whole week. I, don't Im I can't imagine how they do it, but they do it. And they're just, they're, they're just learning to do life together. Well, lot, two years ago, they hadn't made any affiliation with any uh, sort of church group. They were just planting a church. This year, we find out that they have actually affiliated with the North American Mission Board of the Canadian National Baptist Convention or Southern Baptists in the United States of America. And that's the same group that we're, uh, we're uh, talking to these days. So they were <laughs> excited that we might be lining up with the same group. But you know, there's no place like home, and we are so glad to be back at the gathering this morning. Jamie had a small seizure uh, last night, and Patty had arranged uh, for, for someone to come and look after Jamie so that she could be here this morning, because she said, I don't want to miss the gathering. I want to be at the gathering this morning. And she's here, even though the caregiver had to cancel at the last minute, Patty said, I'm going to load her up and we're coming anyway. But she's sort of half asleep. And I also heard that Pastor Tyler St. Clair hit it out of the ballpark last week, right? Did you enjoy his preaching? Good. We'll have to have him back sometime in the future. Well, this morning we come back to Colossians and the text that Alan read for us just a moment ago. The Apostle Paul frequently follows exposition about Christ and about the gospel with an explanation of how we are supposed to walk out that truth. And that's what's happening here in this passage. Explanation follows exposition. Application to daily life follows theological reflection. So he, he refuses to just teach dry biblical doctrine without bringing it home. He wants to make sure that we understand how we're supposed to apply this to our daily lives so that we become a little more like Jesus each day. Holy talk should result in a holy walk. And solid orthodoxy 
should result in solid orthopraxy. So the marvelous and somewhat mysterious theology of Colossians 1 and 2 now spawns the challenge in verse uh, 5 of chapter 3 to put to death everything that's earthly in us. So let's jump in with both feet and begin to study the real-life application of this vast theology that we've been learning in Colossians 1 and 2. So first of all, we have the challenge in putting to death what is earthly in us. Oh, by the way, I, there, there it is. That's the one I was looking for earlier. You can follow along on your device if you have a, um, a tablet or a phone, and the Roseland Wi-Fi password is Ctour. There's actually, we're actually back online with version, so you can use that to follow along the message if you'd like. Otherwise, we're going to just look at the text on the screen. The challenge in putting to death what's earthly in us. That's what we're talking about first. Paul writes in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. My friend Peter Geetz restores old cars as a hobby. Uh, the guy can work magic in that garage of his at the back of his lot. It's amazing what he can do in his garage. But when Pete encounters rust on the body of a car, it's not enough just to paint over it. You can't do that. He, he would never do that. Even if the paint is of highest quality, eventually that rust is going to reappear, right? It's going to eat its way through the paint. And if you don't remove the rust, the rust will eventually eat away the body of the car. And that's why Paul is urging us here to put to death whatever is earthly in us. Because if we don't de deal with the decay of the old life, eventually the decay resurfaces and eats away all the good stuff that's left. Grace enables us to put off the old and put on the new. Remember the verses that started this chapter, verses 1 and 2? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So when you couple that with the passage that follow, you might say that seeking God and putting to death the fleshly or earthly things in us go together. They're like two theological peas in a pod. Seeking God, seeking the Lord, and putting to death what is fleshly or earthly in us, they go together. And he specifically names four elements of sinful sexual sensuality that need to be put to, get, to, to death. Four elements of sinful sensuality that we're supposed to slay. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire. Now the word translated sexual immorality in verse 5 is the Greek word pornain. And it's, it's, it's the same word that gives us the English word pornography. So he urges us to put to death every kind of sexual immorality or deviation, any sexual activity outside of marriage,
could be lumped under this general category of sexual immorality. The next element that we're to kill off is impurity or moral uncleanness. And it's still within this realm of sensual or sexual sin. It probably embraces things like, like scandalous imaginations, flirting that goes way beyond the line, conversations that include sexual innuendos, and of course deeds or acts that are incompatible with the spirit, all lumped under impurity, sexual impurity. And the third thing we're to put to death is, is passion, or some, some translations say lust. So this, I think, is talking about shameful, compulsive passion that leads to sexual excess. That, that, that's not supposed to be part of our walk with Christ. And the fourth element of sensuality to be discarded is evil desire, wicked, self-serving, ravenous lust. Put it to death, Paul says. What a deadly foursome we have here. Sexual impurity, or sexual immorality, rather. Impurity, passion, evil desire. And Paul says it all needs to be slain outright. It, put it to death. And then after he names these four sensual sins, he, he tacks on covetousness. Covetousness is the sin of always wanting more, either more pleasure or more things, and never being satisfied. The covetous person is never satisfied with what he has, and she always wants what other people have. So satisfaction is totally elusive for a covetous person. They're never happy. And that is idolatry, Paul says. Why? Because covetousness takes the place that only God is supposed to occupy. Covetousness puts things above God. It, it puts things in a place where only God should be. And that's why he calls it idolatry. It makes things way more important than they should be, and it, it just it cultivates a materialistic outlook of life for us. We begin to evaluate life in terms of dollars and cents and sales or full retail price. So you're never happy, always wanting more, materialistic. And this is serious business, friends, because the Bible says it provokes the wrath of God. On account of these things, verse 6, the wrath of God is coming. So the message of the Bible is, is clear. If we have, or since we have been crucified with Christ and raised with Christ, since we've become full of His fullness, remember that message? Full to overflowing with the fullness of Christ, there are some things then that we need to put off. Namely, unchrist-like sensuality and materialism. They shouldn't be part of the new life. They're part of the old life. Shouldn't be part of the new. And I thought, oh, what, what can I do? I gotta think of some object lesson so that people remember. Putting off the old life, putting on the new. And I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll bring a winter jacket and I'll put it on every time the text says put on. I'll take it off every time the text says take off. But then I thought, why not just stick to the word? The word is memorable in and of itself, isn't it? I sure hope so, because I forgot my coat. 
We must put them to death, Paul says, regardless of the bloody mess that will wind up on the bathroom floor when you do that. Just do it. Put, it, put these things to death, he says. Not only that, but he goes on to say in verse 8, but, but now you must also, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. And so after warning us against the sensual sins and materialism, he now talks about certain social sins that need to be uh, dealt with. Social sins, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan calls these the sins in good standing. They're sins in good standing these days because nobody gets upset anymore and nobody gets convicted anymore about these kinds of things. They've sort of become acceptable sins in the Christian church. Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we ought to put them to death. Don't give them any airtime. Put them all away. Rid yourselves of these things. Eradicate the social sins from your midst. <laughs> I have an ant problem at my house. Every spring and summer, it's like, what, did I build my house on an ant farm or something? And they're all coming home for the family reunion? <laughs> Seriously. So now I could say, you know what? It's, it's no use. The whole neighborhood is affected by ants. I mean, my neighbors have ant problems. Everybody in my neighborhood and on my court complains about all the ants every spring and every summer. We all got ants. So why don't we just, you know, deal with it and just, Learn to live with ants, right? They come in the house for a little while in the spring. Ah, so what? Or I could say, I'm going to do what I got to do to get rid of those ants. Thank you, Tyler. I got to buy me some home defense or some raid or a shotgun or something. going to exterminate those ants. Destroy those ants. Get rid of those ants. Slay those critters so they don't do any more damage. And in the same way, we should not settle. We should not settle for wrath and anger, slander, obscene talk. Not in your home, not in your family, not in your life. And absolutely not in the church of Jesus Christ. We certainly should not and will not settle for these social sins at the gathering. We've got to encourage one another, mentor one another, model what, what good social skills really are. And good social sk skills don't include anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. So don't be surprised if you're part of the gathering family, if people come around you and say, hey, bro, I'm noticing a pattern. Every time you get mad, you drop an F-bomb. And that's not the way Christians are supposed to talk. So can I just encourage you as a brother in the Lord to deal with that? That's obscene talk. Paul says we're supposed to, we're supposed to slay that stuff. Hey, sister, I, I, I've been noticing recently that you are, you, are, you are disrespecting your husband in public. You're talking against him and talking against his job and 
And that, that shouldn't be. You know, that, that's the kind of talk, that's the kind of slander that almost becomes acceptable, right? You see it on TV all the time. All the girls at work are talking about their husbands like that, so I'm just going to join in. No, you're not. Because you're dead. And, and, and you died to Christ, and you're not supposed to talk like that. I didn't say that. The Bible said that, so I'm good. Don't put up with obscene talk and dirty jokes and X-rated conversations around the water cooler or in the lunchroom. Walk away. Just leave the conversation. Go do what you got to do. Go to the bathroom. Even if you just went to the bathroom five minutes before lunch started, you got to go to the bathroom. Why are you taking your lunch with you? Well, I'm going to go. Uh, never mind. Just walk away. Get out of there. You may need to walk away from some conversation. Do what you got to do. Why? Because the wrath of God is coming, Paul says, against these things. I don't want to deal with the wrath of God. I don't want to have to face the wrath of God because the way I talk or the way I think about certain things. No, sir. Put them to death. Hold a funeral for these things. Put them to death. So we've talked about the challenge of putting these things to death. Now let's talk for a few minutes about the, the rationale for putting these earthly things to death. Paul says in verse 9, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And so the, the rationale or the, the basis or the foundation for living a godly life is that we have put on the new self and we've put off the old. And that ought to just ring true in the, in the minds and hearts of those who have been redeemed. It might not make a lot of sense to people who are still on the way to faith in Christ, but certainly for those of us who have been touched by the grace of God and we've drunk, drunk deeply at the well of salvation, this language ought to make sense and it ought to be inspirational, if not convicting. The reason, the rationale, the basis, the foundation for living a godly life is that we've put off the old self and we've put on the new and now we want our lives to glorify God. The, the gathering exists to bring glory to God through lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. So things should be different at our house. Things should be different in the place that we work. We ought to, we ought to, we ought to conduct ourselves differently at school than the rest of our, our fellow students who don't know Jesus. We must put off the evil practices of our former life because when we came to Christ and we were baptized into the body, 1 Corinthians 12, and we were born again, John chapter 3, we spiritually took off the old self and put on the new. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new has come. The old has passed away. The new has come. So really, there, there, there ought to be a difference. There really ought to be a difference in the way we live and act and, and eat and give and pray and, 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 and share our lives with our neighbors and friends. There really ought to be a difference. So that 
2 Corinthians 5.17 is very good reason for putting to death what's earthly in us because we're now in Christ and we, we should live our lives to demonstrate that we are in Christ. In Christ. It ought to make a difference. Two years ago on a cold November night in Times Square, New York City, police officer Lawrence DePrimo was working when he spotted a, an elderly homeless man with no shoes on. It was a cold night. Officer said, I looked over and I saw someone was laughing at this elderly homeless gentleman who had no socks and no shoes. You, you could see the blisters from a distance. It was so cold on, I had two pairs of socks, he said. And this man had nothing on his feet. So he asked the man if, if he had anything to cover his feet. And he said, oh, it's okay, sir. I've, I've actually never owned a pair of shoes. So God bless you. Thank you. And off he went. Police officer followed him, caught up to him, asked him to stay put for just a moment, and asked him what shoe size he had. He walked into a shoe store on West 42nd, and he said, I'd like to buy a pair of boots, something that will last for a long time. I don't care what the price is. And a few minutes later, he walked out of that shoe store with a $100 pair of all-season boots, size 12. Now, that act of kindness would have gone unnoticed and largely forgotten had it not been for Jennifer, who was a tourist from Arizona. She snapped the picture and put it on Facebook. Jennifer said that the officer expected absolutely nothing in return, and he didn't know that I was watching or taking his picture. Her snapshot was posted on Facebook, and Officer DePrimo became an overnight internet hero. Well, every authentic follower of Jesus has a new self according to the Bible. And because of that new self, we have new spiritual sensitivities, right? And we, have, we, we, we become aware of our, of our talents and our new abilities and, and spiritual gifts that God has given to us, which open up wonderfully new possibilities in this life for us to make a difference and just do something to change the world in which we live. Random acts of kindness, gentle words, even to the most undeserving, and expecting nothing in return. All of those are signs of new life in Christ. And so I want to encourage you, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. If you're anything like me, you get discouraged when you don't see big changes happening in your life and in your hearts. You, you get discouraged when you, when you see that your, your efforts aren't making a huge difference. Thousands aren't coming to faith in Christ. That your whole neighborhood hasn't been converted yet and having backyard Bible studies during the summer. Don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, some a little quicker than others. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. So the more we say no to the old self and yes to the new, we are learning to gain greater freedom so that we can live the life that God intended us to live. The more we say no to the old life, yes to the new self, we're, we're, we're getting practiced up. Practice makes perfect. 
put off, put on, put off, put on, put off, put on. Pretty soon it becomes second nature. Put off the old life and all of its evil practices, put on the new. Craig had been an alcoholic for more than 12 years. His addictions and his selfishness cost him his, his wife and his family. They left him. Things began to change, however, when he gave his life to Christ. But he just kept being pulled back into the old ways. You know what I'm talking about? The temptation was so strong, he just, he, he, you know, he'd stumble and fall, get back up and get back on the right road, and, and he'd stumble again. No income, lost his job, and only hope in Christ. He was in desperate condition. And so after an interview at a sheet metal company that was just down the street from his new church, he, he got down on his knees and said, God, if you'll just give me this job, I promise uh, I'll give my whole first paycheck to you. And surprisingly, he got the job. And he clearly remembers the day when he got his first paycheck, penniless, with bills stacked up at home, penniless but determined. He endorsed it over to the church, and instead of waiting for the Sunday offering, he walked down to the church office and handed it in. He said that was the moment that changed his life because now he understood what it meant to trust God. And as of today, Craig has been sober for more than 25 years. And he's now the manager of the sheet metal company, and he's an elder in his church. And so that's why I say, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Keep practicing putting off the old and putting on the new. And sooner or later, putting on the new becomes easier and more desirable than anything else. Though your outer self is wasting away, your inner self is being renewed moment by moment, day by day, year after year after year until Jesus comes again. So another aspect uh, of, of the rationale for putting off the old is that the new self actually brings with it a renewal that is so radical and so drastic and so profound that it actually has the power to change all of our human relationships. Let's have a look. Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 11, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So here's the thing. This is, this is what I think this passage in, in its totality is saying. If we practice, if we make a practice of putting to death our sensuality and materialism, laying aside evil attitudes and malignant speech, then we will actually be removing all the things that create barriers between human beings. Could you imagine what would happen in our homes, in our schools, in our government? If we made a practice of putting to death sensuality, materialism, laid aside evil attitudes and malignant speech, woohoo! it would just absolutely change everything between us as human beings. These are the things that make, hold us back and make it very, very difficult for us to be BFFs with more than one or two people. The new self, lived out, brings the destruction of racial barriers, Greek and Jew. 
So in a place like the gathering, you can have Caucasians and Vietnamese and South Asians and Malaysians and even Germans worshiping together. Lots of smiles from the Germans this morning. World Cup champions they are. So it, it, it can destroy those racial barriers. And our church proves that. I mean, we've got people of various races here. It also destroys religious barriers, circumcised and uncircumcised. That's what he's pointing at. Cultural, cultural barriers, barbarian and Scythian. They enjoyed different foods, different customs, different... But in Christ, you see, we're all equal at the cross. Social barriers, slave and free. So medical doctors and lawyers and government officials can sit side by side with homeless men who come to the same assembly for worship. Because we're one in Christ. And the world who is watching the church will be amazed. Because they've not seen anything like it. There's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. So let's make sure it works right here. <laughs> let's stay on the right track. Keep the main thing the main thing. And don't let these social sins of wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk filter in. Just a few years ago, when the tropical storm Agatha had finally finished its course, a 330-foot deep sinkhole appeared in downtown Guatemala City. 330 feet is like 30-story building. That's how deep this sinkhole was downtown Guatemala City. Like all sinkholes, this one caused the ground to, to suddenly collapse, but in this case, it also swallowed land and telephone poles and a three-story factory building and a security guard. Land that looks stable and strong on the outside suddenly collapses, producing havoc and destroying everything in its, in its path. And unfortunately, our interior lives can resemble a sinkhole. It, they look strong and steady and stable on the outside, but there's a fragile interior. There's a fragile foundation, you see. We're too busy to spend time with God. We refuse to deal with past hurts. We set ourselves up for a fall. We harbor habitual sins. Or, or we decide that certain sins are, are quite acceptable for some reason or other. We're just not convicted about anger and slander and bitterness anymore. We harbor these secret addictions or character flaws. If we do that, we're setting ourselves up for a sinkhole, for collapse. The surface of our life may look stable and secure, but underneath the exterior, we're actually sitting on, on a sinkhole, on a very fragile base. And the storms of life, or even just the normal, daily, everyday pressures of life, paying the bills, uh, keeping the creditors off the porch, keeping your marriage on the mark, just the regular, day-to-day -day pressures of life can, can suddenly expose our hidden vulnerabilities. And before you know it, 
were sunk. So how do we avoid the sinkhole effect? Put off the old life with its evil practices and impure speech and put on the new with its wonderfully fresh possibilities. Simple? Yes. Easy? Not so much. But that's why we have the Spirit of God. He will guide us and lead us into these things one step at a time. So don't lose heart. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to sit under your word again this morning. Lord, I'm humbled. I'm humbled every time I open this book and read this letter. Paul obviously loved the Colossians and the Laodiceans. And you obviously love us because you just keep pouring it on, inviting us to turn our hearts toward home, forgiving our sins, and pouring out your grace in our lives. Thank you. Lord, please be patient with us. We know that the Spirit of God is not finished with us yet, and we still stumble from time to time. But we're on the right track, and we're on the way. Holy Spirit, come. Please, guide us into all truth. Take us by the hand now and show us what it is in our our specific, our individual lives that we need to put off and what we need to put on in order to please you in every respect. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.